It's found in Matthew chapter 25, and the title is simply, Are You Ready? Are You Ready? Matthew 25 and the first 13 verses, and I'm going to have Linda read that passage in just a minute for us. But one of the things, if you're not familiar with the Bible and how Jesus taught and how he got his point across to his audience very often was that he tells parables. And parables are earthly stories that have these heavenly or spiritual meanings to them that apply to our lives. And in the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, Jesus speaks about the future and the consequences of being prepared and un- or unprepared for his return. And so... If you have your phone ready or your Bible, just turn there and and you're ready when Linda reads in a minute. But I want you to to go to that text. And of course, at the time of of when Jesus was walking this earth and ministering, marriage and in that culture was very different than than what we do now. And in in different cultures even now, there are these huge elaborate things. I mean, I've been to some Italian weddings. I had some friends and it was like this huge production that cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars, you know, and it's just... Whatever. Praise God. It's fun. It's good stuff, you know, and it's just part of their culture. And then you've been to some where it's really small, nothing. And you know what? It's all good. The culture is very. But in Jesus' time, it was a huge process for the Jewish people and in that culture. And they would have these processions and getting ready. And a year out, the, the groom buys, buys a house and gets it ready. And uh, man, I wish I was able to do that. <sighs> Couldn't do that. But anyway, they would get everything ready, and then when the time was right, about a year later, they'd go through this process, and there's procession at night where the, the bridesmaid uh, would come out and meet the, the groomsmen, and they would start the whole process of this marriage procession until the wedding went on. It, it, all, you can do the research. The, it was very elaborate, and there was a huge procession, procession. And with this procession, with the party and all the, the people that were invited, they all brought torches and lamps with them because they would walk through the streets at night going to, to the home there. And if you didn't have a torch or lamp, it was like you were a, a wedding crasher. You shouldn't be there. Um, really, it, it's, it's part of the culture and how, how, how it worked. And so if you didn't have one, you just jumped into the procession line, you were a crasher. All right, and um, so that's the background of the story uh, that Christ begins to tell in, in chapter twenty-five. And Linda, if you don't mind, if you would read the first thirteen verses, thank you. It can be illustrated by the story of the ten bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish took no oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all lay down and slept. At midnight, they roused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and welcome him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Sir, open the door for us. But he called back, I don't know you. So stay awake and be prepared, because you do not know the day or hour of my return. Amen. Amen. Parable of Jesus. Some of us are familiar, some of us are not, but let me just start with a true story. It's a, it's, it's, it's a crazy story. But it's true. You can look it up. You can verify it. Multiple sources. In April of 1988, a guy named Ivan Lester McGuire. He was a, a professional photographer, but he was also a skydiver. He jumped from a plane along with several other skydivers 
and he filmed the group as they, were in, as they individually dove out of the plane and opened their parachutes. And, I mean, this happens all the time. It's nothing new. He, this, he did this all the time. And as the video was being shown and it's being recorded, it was a live feed to whatever, and, and each member of the crew jumping out and then pulling their ripcord so that their parachute opened to the wind, the final skydiver opened his chute, and as he's recording the final skydiver that jumped out, all of a sudden everything went berserk. And he's, he's recording them coming out. He's below them. And the, the, the screen, the, the video footage went, that noise, you know, just black and white going like that. And the announcer reported that the cameraman had fallen to his death having jumped out of the plane without a parachute. Sounds crazy, and it is crazy in this day and age, but this actually happened, 1988. It wasn't until he reached for the ripcord that he realized he was free-falling without a parachute. And up until then, he was enjoying himself, the thrill, the, the view, the people, everything he's doing, like he loved is a passion of his. And he's absorbed in all that he's doing and free-falling down from the sky. I and mean, tragically... He was unprepared for his jump. Didn't matter how many times he had done it before or what skill he had, by forgetting the parachute, he made a foolish and deadly mistake. Nothing could save him because his faith was in a parachute which he had never taken the trouble to buckle on his back. He died. And it's a story, when you, it's a true story. And as I read that, I was kind of blown away. And it's a story, it's not unlike the parable which Jesus shares about the five wise and then the five unwise virgins. Because it's really all about preparation. It's really all about getting ready and going through everything you need to to be prepared for that moment when everything counts. Jesus told about the foolish bridesmaids and about how they forgot to bring something that was very important and necessary for this wedding. This parachutist wasn't ready. He was unprepared. It would do no good to try and borrow a parachute of someone else on their way to meet the ground. He was not prepared and he passed the point of no return. There's a few relevant points that I want to make with the parable of Jesus and and can kind of play off of and you can see the parallels even with the parachute and the skydiver. The first is this, is, as I mentioned, you have to be ready. Jesus' message here is that you must be ready to meet the groom. Are you ready? If there's one thing that Jesus consistently and continually preached, it was that we need to be ready. Uh, in, in, all his, in all his sermons, he implied that and he said that directly many times. As much as he said that we have to repent and, and, and he outlined the characteristics of what it means for those who are followers of his and how they would live their lives and pursue him and, and, and serve others um, and, and, and be preparing themselves, he kept on going on and on about being prepared and be ready. In Matthew 24, the chapter before this, in verse 44, Jesus says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you ready? We often forget that Jesus is coming back. In fact, when's the last time, really, truly, you've read about a second coming, or that you've studied it, or that you've heard a sermon or done a study on the second coming of Christ? We, we have had them. 
but we don't talk about it enough. One of the marks of the church, and it's evidenced in the first chapter of Thessalonians, is that their faith was so strong in the Lord that it was so powerful and so broadcast through what they did and what they believed that it didn't, didn't need any kind of commentary. The word was spreading about the church because their faith in God was so strong and their, their faith in the word of God. But one of the marks of a true church also is that they're waiting for the coming of Christ. They're preparing themselves for the coming of Christ. We're preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Just be aware of that, that we need to be preparing ourselves. We often live as though there's no tomorrow. Our finances reflect this a lot of times. The way we eat and treat our bodies reflects this sometimes. And certainly, for sure, the moral lives of many, many people, not only in our country, but across this globe, reflect this. And one of my great concerns, if I could put it that way, and I kind of like struggle and it bothers me and I wrestle with it in my own life, but just as I look around, maybe you grew grieved by it too, is that there's this great moral disconnect between personal faith and then the ethical and moral behavior that follows. You know what that just means? Basically, what we talked about on Friday night with the, with the uh, college and career guys, that there's no integrity and no true character, no true godly character. Many people within the church, as well as outside of it, seem to have lost their conscience or the ability to respond to it, even in seemingly trivial matters. But that's another sermon. The whole message of Jesus here is that there's a warning, even in all these issues I just mentioned, for us to be ready. And it had to do with doing the right things, as long as they were in relationship to the right person, which is Jesus himself. Being ready meant actively living in faithfulness to God. It is more than just calling yourself a Christian. That's fine. You can do that and you may be, but are you ready? If there's one thing I want to get across, it's this. Spiritual readiness or preparation and growth doesn't just happen. doesn't just happen. It comes as a result of intentional habits that we build into our lives. You can't depend on a Sunday morning service once a week to provide all your spiritual needs. You can't depend on Christian fellowship to provide you with spiritual development. It helps because it keeps us accountable, and we certainly need that, and it's a biblical principle, but you can't rely on that alone. You can't depend um, on on all the heritage that you have in the past history from the, the spiritual stuff from your grandparents or your parents that you can't depend on that. comes through routine and even mundane attention to ordinary spiritual disciplines. And that's making sure that you have enough oil. That oil is a spiritual fuel. You know what the spiritual fuel is? Spiritual fuel is the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. But it's the Holy Spirit. The symbol of the Holy Spirit is oil, oftentimes in the Word of God. And this fuel comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And it saves you, and it comes by taking time to pray and being alone with God, pressing into Him, reading God's Word, acts of service to others as we're supposed to do, moral faithfulness and loving obedience to God's commands. All these things fuel us, and we get filled with the Spirit of God because we submit to the ways of God. And we're fueled. And we have the oil that we need so that our lamp is burning when the procession comes or the call comes for us to meet the groom. And these are the things which enable a person to grow in Christ and be prepared for Christ's coming. As well as even the normal difficulties of life, they prepare us too. They hone our character and cause us to keep depending on God and gaining strength from Him and not our own. 
Without these things, you will not be prepared. It can't be hit and missed. It can't be postponed. You can't procrastinate or it might be too late. You need to develop some holy habits in your life which take precedence over other interests and claims in your life. We're so caught up and we're so distracted by things that are so meaningless in the end, myself included. She'd be Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and all of Jesus that I can get, if I could put it that way, through our disciplines. These things make your life powerful against the onslaught of the world when we're connected to him and we're preparing ourselves. It's interesting that in the parable of the bridesmaids, all of them appeared to be alike. They were all bridesmaids, obviously. They were all dressed. They all, they all brought a lamp. They all thought of themselves as bridesmaids. They, they all dressed alike, as I said. They, they were all expecting the bridegroom at a certain time relative you know, to whatever. He could be delayed or early, but they kind of knew generally when he was coming. And when the bridegroom was late, they... They zoned out and then they just dozed off. They fell asleep. They all had lamps. All of them trimmed their lamps. And all they wanted was to be a part of the wedding feast. But none of the, not all of them were all prepared. And this is a warning from the parable. Again, I repeat. Be sure that you're truly prepared. It is possible to know the Bible and not be living for the God of the Bible. It is possible to be a nice person and know all the right doctrine, yet have no relationship with God, or just an intellectual one, or just even, if I could say, an emotional one. It is possible to look like everyone else and have your Christianity only on the surface. It's called hypocrisy, while never allowing it to change you and the way you live. All the bridesmaids slept. And there's nothing wrong with that. Normal life goes on while we're waiting for the bridegroom, for Jesus to come back, right? I mean, we have to work, we have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to take care of poopy diapers and whatever else. And we do all that stuff because that's normal life. We're getting ready for for the next thing in our day or the next event in our life. But we're also, as we're waiting for Jesus, we're doing the regular stuff of life. Stores need to be open, we're working, roads are still needing repair. I can think of a lot of them around here. Um, cars need to be maintained. You go to sporting events and they're played and you prepare for them. And all kinds of different, all these activities go on. The routine of life just keeps rolling on as we wait for Jesus. Jesus himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he says that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39. And the important point is that we don't get caught up in the routine of the world or everyday life so much that we forget that things are not always going to continue as they are. They won't. There's a new day coming. Jesus will come. And some of the bridesmaids slept the the sleep of sloth and indifference to their circumstances and to everything that was going on, and they didn't prepare themselves. Others slept with peace and security because they knew that they had the oil that they would need, and they had enough. They had extra, actually. And for those who 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 were foolish, they did not know that they needed the oil, or it's not that they didn't know they needed the oil, or that they just forgot It was a matter of foolish negligence. 
and laziness, if I could say, I believe. They overlooked their responsibility. They ignored what they knew to be important. The lesson we learn is this. Don't fail to be prepared. Don't fail. Don't neglect to have oil in your lamp. Don't ignore what you know to be important. For the closer it is to Jesus' coming, the more important it is to be prepared. So we need to be ready. That's the main point of the parable. Be ready. Secondly, the second lesson of the parable is this, is that no one can do it for you. No one can prepare for you. Nobody can prepare for you. Now, I know in skydiving, typically, as we go back to that illustration, I don't know where the failure was, but it's still the skydiver's responsibility to make sure that somebody helped strap that thing on if they need that help, right? It should be a team thing, and, and everyone who's in the plane should make sure and double-check. They have all kinds of systems and process in place, protocol, to make sure that safety is at the, at the, at the, the, the top of the list of importance. So I don't know what happened there in that story. I'm sure there's history to it, and you can check it out yourself if you'd like. But no one can do it for you. It ultimately comes back on you to make sure that your parachute's on, that your, 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 your safety, your security, so that you don't crash and burn, and, and that you pass that point in return, and your life is ended, and it's all over, and you end up in a not a good place, spiritually speaking, without Christ. Jesus is coming. No one can do it. No one can wear a parachute in your place. It doesn't work that way. You need your own. The foolish bridesmaids saw that they did not have enough oil, and they asked When they heard that the procession was coming, the call came out. They asked their wise friends to loan them some of theirs, but that was not possible. It sounds cruel. It sounds mean. It sounds harsh. No way, I'm not giving you my oil. I don't want you to be part of the the feast. That is not their attitude, by the way. It wasn't that they wanted them to be excluded. They just knew that they needed the oil in order to meet the groom. And if they didn't have the oil, they couldn't be part of the procession and part of that party and to meet the groom. They couldn't do it. Really, really, really important. That means that when you think about that, they knew that that they couldn't loan that to them. It wasn't possible. And it means that another person's faith in this life cannot cover you. Someone else's faith can't cover you. It will not cover you. Preparedness through a relationship with Christ is not transferable. It's not transferable. Because being prepared is an internal, spiritual state that you have to possess. You have to have your own relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just because you were reared in a Christian home or you're in church with other people of faith does not necessarily mean that you have faith. It will not just rub off of you or you can't just catch it like you catch the cold. It doesn't work that way. You can't borrow faith from your friends and you can't get it from your parents. It's impossible. The Jews of Jesus' day were known for calling Abraham their father. They loved to do that with Jesus. They were the physical descendants of Abraham, and they assumed that they were also his spiritual descendants. But one day, as Jesus saw them coming toward them, he said to them, Do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. We're all set. He says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. How? By faith. By faith. Matthew chapter 3 says that. You, have a, you might have a great heritage, and I had one. Some of you have had great spiritual heritage with the Lord, but you need to make that heritage your own personal experience and reality. It's got to be yours. You might think that the response of the five virgins, as I said, was harsh, but it's not. Remember the beginning of the parable. All ten had lamps. All ten had access for oil to those lamps, and there's nothing harsh in their reply at all. They're wise. 
They're wise virgins. They know that the oil is, is sufficient only for themselves. If they share the lamp, there's their oil, then their lamp will go out. Listen, this is important. They did not keep the oil to themselves, but they kept the oil for themselves. In fact, verse 10 tells us that even that, he, that, that, that the, the, even the foolish virgins were given instructions as to where to go and to get oil for themselves. You see, there's a difference in keeping the oil to yourself and for yourself. And they could not share what they themselves needed to get into the banquet of the groom. There's no joy for them in others being excluded, but they didn't want to be excluded. They were invited, and they had to go to the party, and they made proper preparation. In addition, don't try to borrow someone else's oil. Be sure to have some of your own. Character can't be borrowed, neither can a relationship with God be borrowed. In the story, the foolish bridesmaids did not realize the need of oil until the bridegroom appeared. It's kind of late, isn't it? Because things are closed down, it's late, who knows if it's... I know where it is, but I don't know if you can get it. They were told to go out and buy oil, but they found that impossible. And this means that a relationship with God cannot be bought after, at the last minute at any price. It just doesn't work that way. The wise bridesmaid said to the others, Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And listen, where do we get oil? Where is that dispensary? It's Jesus. We sing about that. We read about that. We learn about that. The place that we go in our spiritual journey to have oil in our lamps so they're burning, the one who dispenses oil for us to keep our lamps full and ready for his return is Jesus Christ. He's the baptizer in the Spirit. He's the one who gives his Spirit. He's the one that fills you with his Spirit when you surrender to his ways and you can have oil for the, for the return of Jesus Christ and your lamp is burning bright in preparation. Like the parachuting cameraman, don't let the moment of death be the thing that alerts you to your own spiritual poverty. You might not even have that moment. You may not even realize it like the guy who was parachuting until it's too late. Because you might reach for the ripcord and it just won't be there. No one can do it for you. You need to have your own relationship with Jesus to prepare. And finally and quickly, the third point of the parable is is that you can miss the bridegroom and the party. Just a very obvious statement and conclusion uh, to to the story. Because five missed it, five didn't. You can miss the bridegroom and the party. In other words, you can miss heaven. You can miss that call to heaven if you're not ready. The experience of death for the Christian is great hope. And it's and, and for us as Christians, but for those in the world, for a lot of them, it's fearful. The unknown and not knowing and not having assurance. And not that we don't wrestle with thoughts, even as Christians, about death and what the future holds. But as those who don't know the Lord, the hope that isn't there can be devastating to their minds, their emotions, and traumatic. And it's, it's, it's a scary place to be. The second coming of Christ is going to come with finality and power. The Apostle Paul, and we know Revelation talks all about that, but the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that one day the trumpet is going to be a blaring trumpet. It's going to be a sound from heaven. It's going to sound, and those who are ready will meet Jesus when he comes from heaven to take those who are his to be with him forever. Can't wait for that meeting. Really, I mean, are you getting ready? Are you prepared? Are you excited about that? Jesus is coming, and the first church anticipated the coming of Christ all the time, every day. He could come at any time, and so often we don't think about that, and as a result, we don't truly prepare. The foolish bridesmaids called, bridesmaids called for the door to be opened to them, but their cries were, you know what, they were not heard. 
They never made preparation to enter. They couldn't get in. They couldn't go and buy that oil. Their preparation, think about this. Think about this as a concluding thought before we we pray. Their preparation would have been proof of their desire to meet the groom. Now, please, that's not intended to be a harsh statement. It's a statement of reality and truth. If you really are a child of God and you're waiting for him to come and you're eager, as Paul writes in some epistles, and you're expecting, then you're doing everything you can to prepare because you are just wanting to be with him. Even though you're here and you're excited, you're living as in the light of that return and you're doing everything in the light of the fact that he's coming back. The preparation is proof of that desire. Isn't that true in the sports world? I mean, the way the best athletes, those who are the best in their sport or their athletic field, they prepare, they have such a desire to reach that goal, to get to that day. And if you will, have heaven opened up and you win the Super Bowl. Have heaven opened up and every the confetti flies and you hold the trophy of the NBA championship or the, the World Cup or whatever it is. Your desire, your drive, your preparation, everything you do before that is evidence that you really want that. Now, I don't do that all the time, and neither do you. But Jesus reminds us that even though we're his and his spirit lives in us, he wants us to be prepared to meet him. And if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior, he wants to give you the Holy Spirit and give you oil in your lamp so that you're ready when he comes. And he makes that offer to you freely because of what Jesus did on the cross and that he came to die for us. And so as we approach our celebration of Christ's birth, listen to Paul's words to Titus. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's called Christmas. It's called the Nativity. It's called uh, the Incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and being Emmanuel, God with us. He comes, and the grace of God appears through Jesus Christ, and he offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say, Paul says, No to ungodliness and worldly passions. By the way, that's a way to prepare yourself. Know to ungodliness and live righteously. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So as we go through our day today, and as we reflect and think on the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, ask yourself, are you making preparation? Remember that no one can do it for you. People can help you in the process, but they can't do it for you. And we should. We do that as brothers and sisters. We help each other. And we help those that don't know Jesus to get prepared by sharing Christ with them. Amen? And so are you ready? Are you ready? Are you anticipating the coming of Jesus? I wonder, before Jesus was born, if the world was really ready, the people in the world, if they were ready for his his coming. Certainly, God prepared the world for his coming through all different ways. But I wonder if the people in general were prepared, and I would say they were not. 
In fact, they didn't even see and recognize who he was. Now, there were some, Simeon and others, the Bible records, they were anticipating, and some of the, 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 the leaders and some, of, the, some of, of God's people, they looked at prophecy and they waited. And you know what? Here, here's the thing. Just as Jesus came the first time as he promised, he's going to come again the second time just as he promised. We don't know when. Are you ready? Amen?